Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Bottom Up Revolution. I'm your host, Tiffany Owens-Reed, and today I'm joined by Barry Green Jr. He's an urban journalist and local advocate from the Southside neighborhood of Richmond, Virginia. After spending time in Brooklyn, New York and Charlotte, North Carolina, he returned home to Richmond earlier this year and shortly after that launched his substack called Density Dads. On his blog, Barry draws on his experience as a husband and father to write about city and urban design issues in an extremely accessible manner, and also to advocate for urban design that's friendly to families, children, and seniors. In addition to working full-time as a fundraising and grants manager for an environmental nonprofit, he also serves on the board of Virginia Rapid Transit and the Partnership for Smart Growth. Barry, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It took us a, a start or two to finally get to the point where we're happily recording. Um, I'm really glad about that because I'm really excited to hear more about your story. So we met at the National Gathering, let's say about a month or two ago now, and I got to hear a little bit of your story. I know that you are from Richmond and recently returned home. Can you just tell me a little bit about that journey? Sure, sure. So uh, again, Barry Green Jr., um, originally from Richmond, Virginia. The journey into urbanism kind of started during a stint in Brooklyn, New York, just spending four years up there and just exploring the built environment, you know, just as you normally would, right? Just catching the train, catching the bus, walking. Um, prior to that time, I, I didn't have any public transportation experience, just, you know, kind of getting around um, via car. Um, there was a very brief moment where I didn't have a car and I had to learn the bus system. So it wasn't a harsh transition to Brooklyn, um, but it was a harsh transition leaving Brooklyn and then moving to Charlotte, North Carolina before returning home. So just having that different view after expending, you know, so much time in a walkable environment and then kind of being secluded in a, a suburb and, going to an office park. It was just a, such a stark contrast. Um, and so I bought a car. It's one of the worst decisions I've ever made. Um, last year, I um, got rid of that car and just happy to now be back in Richmond and exploring, you know, my hometown via just foot and bike and bus. So my wife does have a car, so I'm not, you know, we'll talk about that. But, you know, it's just been great being, um, I guess you could say more independent, you know, as far as getting around and having some flexibility. Yeah, I can for sure relate to that experience of going from, I guess, a normal city to a big city like New York and then back to a normal city. I've written a lot about this for Strongtown, so I won't go into it now. Just just want to say that I understand and the struggle is real. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, so you, uh, you, you use this term car light uh, versus yes. car free. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I know car light is very popular. And then on my Substack, I've like kind of threw it out there to see what people's definition was, but I don't consider myself car light because I don't assume that I have a right to my, my wife's car. It was, it was my choice to be without a vehicle. Um, it wasn't hers. She's just not as comfortable as me just getting around by bicycle or bike or even walking. So I always, you know, ask to say like, Hey, like, the schedules won't align or 
I'm going to be out really late tonight. And, you know, I know Ubers aren't as popular on a weekday here after nine o'clock. So things like that. Um, or sometimes buses just don't make that last trip to South Side or River. Again, we'll talk about that. So um, while I, I don't have a personal vehicle of my own, I do use Uber. Um, you know, I know some people say, oh, that's not car light. But um, yes, I don't have my own private vehicle. And I don't assume that, you know, I can just take the keys and just go somewhere. I'm always having that conversation with her and making sure that she's okay with it. Um, and I think that's a very important step when we consider like a one car, you know, lifestyle, particularly when we have an 18 month old. Um, so I, I just don't ever want to put her in a position where she has to figure out the built environment. She doesn't have her car. Um, and then, you know, there's an emergency of some sort where, you know, she's just not comfortable. So, yep. yeah, but I also like the positive side of that because I feel like it gives people like something to aim for. If you can't be a hundred percent car free, um, so I think the spin on that is you don't have to be car free. You can aim for car light. Um, as, even as a family with kids, there are ways you can negotiate. There, there are creative ideas you can come up, come up with. My husband's currently bribing me right now with the promise of getting me like a Vespa scooter situation. Um, because we're a one car family, we're about to have a baby, and I'm very stressed about the whole like getting around, getting around the city, like how that's all going to play out. Um, and instead of getting two cars, which I adamantly refuse to do. You know, we're more or less kind of aiming for car light. I, I, of course, I won't be shuttling the baby around on a scooter, <laughs> but just for when yeah. I have help at home <laughs> and I just need to like run to the store really quick, I'm hoping it's helpful to have that option um, to just quickly run that errand while he has the car to get to and from work, which is a decent commute. Um, so yeah, but I just like the vision you're offering of like, Hey, car for you might be a tall order. Why don't you aim for car light, whether in your personal life, you know, you aim for like 75, 25%, not using a car, 80, 20, whatever that looks like. I think that could be an, an attainable goal for lots of people. Absolutely. It's, I, I think it's like setting just a, you know, a smaller expectation for yourself and not just jumping out into it if it's something new to you. So uh, yeah, absolutely. And even for families, I joke that my hairdresser who was doing my hair for a while, I would go to Austin to get my hair cut because there's no one who can do natural hair in Waco right now. Um, and she actually, she cracked me up the first time I was uh, getting my hair cut by her. Cause she, she was, she actually warned me not to get two cars. Um, Cause she knew that I'd just gotten married and she was like, she, she actually was like pretty, pretty suspicious of the two car newly married lifestyle. Cause she was like the minute you can get to the party and get yourself home by yourself, or, you know, y'all can just immediately split ways and go do your own thing. And I've been thinking about that ever since it was kind of funny in the moment, but I was like, you know what? And I tell my husband this, I'm like, it's stressful, but I actually think we're better off for having had to do this much coordinating and working together and like negotiating. Uh, it really kind of helps you foster a true sense of life together. Cause, and it's not easy sometimes, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I think there's something to that. Um, something to, to thinking about the benefit of having to coordinate in a one car or a car light home. Yeah. Family rhythm, family life is central to what you write about. So, um, and I know that part of your journey from Richmond to Brooklyn, to Charlotte, back to Richmond. A big part of that was also, th there were a lot of personal events that happened in there as well. And that kind of led, led to your blog. So can you walk us through that and then kind of tell us a little bit more about Density Dads? Sure. So uh, the Brooklyn, New York stint was, you know, being early on in my 20s and being in a relationship and just having this opportunity to move up there and explore and, you know, obviously took advantage of it. 
getting to Charlotte was an opportunity to get closer and spend more time with my mom. Um, she was in North Carolina at the time. Um, and I hadn't been home for at that time, about 10 years, or at least in the same state as her. And I was getting older and I was like, I want to start spending some time with her and just hanging out. So I made the move to Charlotte. Um, I actually got my apartment before even telling my mom, like, I just was like, Hey, I need you to go do something for me. And it was like, pick up my keys, like, you know, like looked at the apartment and all that good stuff. So that was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, we moved to Charlotte or I moved to Charlotte. And then after about five years there, I ran a plant business, which, um, was pretty successful, but at the same time was transitioning into being, um, a husband and a dad and trying to figure out whether I wanted this business to continue in Charlotte or go back home, you know, be in a closer proximity of more family while still being driving distance or train distance to my mom. So it was like a good compromise. Um, same thing for my wife. It was an opportunity to just be on the train, be on the bus, you know, be on the um, a quicker path to get to her her parents. So good compromise. And it, it gave me an opportunity to say, hey, like, I want my daughter to see Richmond very differently than I than I did. Right. Like exploring our Jays River, you know, riverfront and just our bike trails and our our, our network in general. So um, different, just more exposure and in, in a place that is familiar, but also very different. The angle of your blog is really writing about the perspective of cities, writing about cities from the perspective of parents, families, children, et cetera. Um, I'm just curious if you can tell me a little bit more about what inspired that angle. And then, and and how did you, how did you find the courage to start putting your voice out there? I feel like it can be hard or challenging or intimidating for a lot of people who want to maybe start writing about what they're observing in their city, but maybe feel a little too intimidated or struggle with imposter syndrome. Yes, yes. So um, while I was in Charlotte, being a business owner, um, I was inspired to take a bigger part in the community. So I signed up and applied for the Charlotte Civic Leadership Academy. And I started to learn about the city departments and public meetings and like how to be more involved and hopefully, in, you know, uh, help organize or be like a staple in my community. That never left. <laughs> it felt like it wasn't going to be an itch. Um, and, and you know this, like being like once you get the the bug of urbanism, you you know you just kind of go deeper and deeper. And so I knew I wanted to to write from this chapter in my life, like as a dad. But I was like, I want to also talk about urbanism. And I was like, how do I combine these things? And so density dad kind of came together. It was like alliteration. It was like it flowed well, and it also lowered the temperature of the word density. Like if you say that in a public meeting, things can get quite Testy. And so the reactions I got when I would tell people about this Substack was just great. People wanted to read about, you know, Richmond. And at that time, I covered some minimalism, but um, I, I covered minimalism from an area of if you take the things that you don't necessarily need away and you replace it with things that we'd get more use out of, then, you know, it's similar with minimalism, but like that's the built environment, right? Like, can you imagine during your time in New York if more streets were closed to cars or if the bike lanes were wider, you know, and there was a bus only like like Union Square. Remember, you know, I'm sure you were there doing Union Square when it was cars. And like now I see videos of Union Square when it's like just bus. And I'm like, wow, this is great. You know, um, so, yeah, that that just kind of came into a consistency thing of writing about it. And I'm I'm glad that I did because I 
hear a lot of parents like, oh, someone finally gets it. And it's great. It really is. If you had to summarize what it means to think about cities from the perspective of parents, families, or children, if you had to give kind of like the elevator speech, or if you, if there was like one thing you wanted parent, you wanted people to think about when it comes to this angle, what would, what, what would be your jam? What would be your like, okay. <laughs> sure. So like, I get excited about this because my background was in sales before policy. So like my elevator speech. All right. Give me the pitch. Yeah. It would be like, a safer environment for our children is a safer environment for everyone. That could mean the built environment. That could mean um, the environmental, you know, crisis that we're facing with um, air pollution. Um, that can mean our sidewalks being straight. I mean, that, it's so many ways you can look at the word safe that, you know, biking to school, if they can, if a kid can bike to school, you know, we can bike to school. So looking at safety through that, like narrower lens, and then expanding out and understanding that it'll benefit all of us. So um, that's a perspective I write from. Um, they're not necessarily able to tell us, like, this isn't a comfortable ride in the stroller or this isn't nice in the backseat. So, like, how do we how do we express that with them? Yeah, it's really a position of humility, honestly, like taking the time to think about the city from your most vulnerable, least vocal user. And I'm putting air quotes around the word user because it's so clinical, but there really is a, a noble challenge in that of like stopping to think about, wait, let's stop and think about the most vulnerable, the, the, the weakest, the smallest, the least vocal resident inhabitant of this environment and th think about it from their perspective. Have you ever seen those videos where they shoot uh, the city from the perspective of a child, like a two foot perspective? I haven't. I haven't. It's like, man. <laughs> is someone showed a video of, a child's view of like a car seat and I'll, I can never get rid of that. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of stressed about it. I'm like, I'm debating if I should get like some baby paintings to put on the back of like the driver's seat. They have something visually stimulating to look at. Um, but even just the isolation of the child, you know, in the back by themselves. But yeah, these, these photos and videos, I'll see if, if I can dig them up, but they're just really provocative when you think about, especially with all the car traffic and you realize like a child's height is literally like a car tire or something, you know, and you just, it just completely challenges your, your perspective on the built environment. So I, I love that you're, that you're raising that perspective. You're raising awareness of, of what cities and built environments you know, what, what they can feel like and uh, what, what it's like to experience them from the perspective of, of children. So you left Richmond and then you came back to Richmond. And I, it sounds like by the time you came back, you really were looking at your city from a, and your, your neighborhood from a whole different perspective. What was that like for you coming back again? I had to realize that while there was a lot of growth, there was a lot of things that stayed the same. So like I moved back to Southside Richmond and um, I could practically walk around blindfolded because nothing's changed. Like I know where the, the flea markets are. I know where the big parking lots are. I know where the churches are. I know where the gas stations are. Like it's just nothing has really changed. And while I don't say change in a way where they shouldn't exist, there just has been pretty much, di you know, divested. There's you know, no new grocery store. There's no new banks. Um, there's a casino, but there's nothing else that is like helpful to the area. And so I had to look at it from two sides, like seeing the like good things that are happening. Like we have trails now. Um, we have a riverfront that 
um, has a nice bridge and access. Um, and we have, you know, we still have the art scene and all those great things, but I just had to, to, I think sometimes when people move home, they want it to be like the places that they were. And I'm sure you can relate to that. It's like, you want to take a piece of Brooklyn with you. You want to take a piece of Charlotte with you. And it's, it's just not that city, you know, <laughs> you have to embrace yourself for that. Like, how was your transition out of Brooklyn? Is it, are you still adjusting? Cause I know I am about some things where I get frustrated. Oh yeah. All the time. <laughs> yeah. So all the time. Um, and it's not a way like one city's better than the other. It's like, if you could just make a big soup, you know, of all the great things that you like about all the cities. I mean, that's kind of how I, I look at it. So um, I'm also looking at it through a lens of a parent and I'm looking at it through a lens as an activist um, where before, or, you know, an advocate where before I was just kind of just here. Um, and so it's great to be able to know when I look around the city or things that I, like I had an impact on. And it sounds like you're sensitive to the difference between, and maybe, maybe this is a question that will stay with you for the rest of your life. I'm not even sure that I have the answer, but the difference between change and growth, you know, um, because it's, it can be such a difficult conversation or a difficult concept to wrestle with of like, what should we want for our neighborhoods in terms of change? And what should we want for our neighborhoods in terms of growth? And I feel like a lot of people feel trapped between wanting to preserve what they love about their community, but feeling like the paths of growth or change are just going to threaten everything that they love. But at the same time, you can't advocate for everything to just stay the same, right? Like that would be a stagnant community. And um, I, I'm just curious your thoughts on that. Like, how do you how do you personally wrestle with like wanting to preserve what you love about the South Side, but also having aspirations and dreams of what it could become while also being aware of like how hard it can be to walk those paths of growth because they, they do come with trade-offs. They, they can come with some negative externalities. Um, I'm just curious how you how you work through that there's a big difference between change and growth. And even as someone who considers themselves like a density, like nut, like I just love, you know, infill and I'm all about, you know, mixed use development and all that good stuff. But, you know, the facts are the facts and, you know, too much of a good thing is still be a bad, can still be a bad thing. So when we look at growth, um, you know, right now we're battling or kind of, looking at upzoning in that area because it's one of the last few places in Richmond where the land is still cheap, um, where, you know, there's empty parking lots and, you know, there's an opportunity to make it now as it's been just kind of forgotten, whatever, what's, you know, somebody wants it to be. What I can appreciate is, you know, my grandma's 83 years old. She's been in Southside a majority of her life. And um, she's really excited about uh, a brand new apartment with a patio. And as somebody again who's a density nut, I'm really that that made me happy knowing that I was an infield project geared towards her 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 audience, right? And so she's able to experience the best of both worlds. She gets to stay in Southside, but she gets to be in a new apartment. She's never been in a like a brand new apartment. They're still building it. And that gives me hope. That gives me hope that we can have that balance, but it has to come from a meaningful place. Her rent is affordable. She was so excited when I told her about the place. And so, yeah, I mean, there's an opportunity to have change and growth. Um, she'll be two or three blocks from a grocery store. 
like one of the only grocery stores in the area. So like, again, that makes me like, okay, we can do this, but like, how do we, how do we work together from the private sector and the public sector and, you know, um, placemakers in the area and change makers? Like, how do we all work together to make like this, this work for the people who have invested in that community since yeah. day one? And it sounds like it, it boils down to the question of scale and pace. Because if you're bringing in growth and change that's happening at too large of a scale or happening at too fast of a pace, that's when you really threaten the connections to the local community and you're not able to to implement the, the types of projects that would actually add value and, and improve their lives. It, it's what Jane Jacobs would call cataclysmic, cataclysmic yes, yes. change. Yes, um, that's, that's important is keeping the people at the forefront who, again, is just always been there for the community and getting them involved and, and looking at it from their needs and not our needs, um, I think is so important. Can you tell me a little bit about your role as an advocate for your community? Um, I'd love to know a little bit about how you got started. This is still a puzzle I'm trying to figure out. You know, I landed in Waco three years ago, started kind of probably my second, third years when I really was like, okay, maybe I should make the most of this and start getting involved in the city if I'm going to be here for a bit. But honestly, sometimes it just feels so confusing. Like, I'm not sure where to start. Where can I, what's the best use of my time? Where can I have the most impact? What's the most valuable uh, meeting to go to? And there's like a million meetings for all these different boards and et cetera, et cetera. So can you just tell us the story of Barry the Advocate? <laughs> How did you get yes. started? How did you sort it all out? How did you kind of hone in on the on the activities and meetings and conversations that you felt like were the best use of your time? Absolutely. So a, a big thing for me is, um, so I've been in Richmond now, back in Richmond now for about a year. Um, and I had a really clear plan on what I wanted to go after as far as being the most effective based upon like my general knowledge and experience. So I knew I wanted to be in buses. Like I wanted to talk more about public transportation and I knew I want to talk about density. And I, I knew those two things were something I wanted to explore. So, you know, I looked out to see what boards, you know, were kind of being, you know, actively, you know, looking for board appointments. And I think, LinkedIn was a big source for me, um, just seeing the who's who's there, um, getting out in the community. But I, I will say this, that it's not perfect. There's some really rough weeks, but being on boards has made it easier for me to stay tuned in. Um, and you don't necessarily have to be on a board per se, but I do think it makes it easier if you want to be more effective. The city website is a big help because here in Richmond, they have to post public meetings. Um, you can subscribe with your email address and they'll keep you in the loop on those type of things. If you have a development site, um, like we have Richmond Business where they talk about all the new businesses or ordinances and things that go on, uh, kind of looking at it from that perspective. But as far as my role in the community, um, it's just been about speaking from the lived-in experience in the rooms that typically don't have either someone that looks like me or someone who's walked in the shoes that I've walked in. So I just try to share those experiences, whether it's public comment, uh, whether it's just listening. I mean, when they're doing the public studies, I mean, making the time definitely happen, you know, is a big part of it. But then also knowing when you are close to burning out, I think is also key. 
if I were to break this down into practical steps, it sounds like first you kind of focused on what you were actually interested in and motivated by like the, the topics and issues that actually energize you. So transit yes. and density, then it sounds like a second step was to find the boards related to those things. And if most, if, yes. if you're listening to this and you don't know what we mean by the word board, if you go to your city website, you'll generally find a page of what's called boards and commissions. And these are, Barry, why don't you describe what a board is? Because you can probably, you can probably describe that better than me. Yeah. So there's, there's two ways you can go about it. As you were saying, if you go on the, the city's website, you can see different boards or commissions that your city um, puts together and they're pretty uh, narrowed in on a particular topic. It could be, um, you know, safe streets. It could be, um, you know, the planning commission is a big one that a lot of people know about um, where you help make decisions, you know, based upon the city. But then there's also nonprofit. So if you are following your advocate, um, your advocacy groups, um, a lot of them have to re have a board and then you can be on those boards. Um, I went that route as I started to build more of a relationship with those advocacy groups. Um, and that's how LinkedIn kind of helped me. Um, social media obviously is a big help. Um, just kind of getting out in the community also helps if you're on Facebook and you know, you have a neighborhood group. Sometimes there's neighborhood associations you can be a part of. So there's several ways that you can get in um, on just giving your two cents um, and, and being effective. Um, but it's again, it's it's about, you know, whose arms linked apart, right? Just building those relationships and trying to make sure that you're not overextending yourself. Can you tell me a little bit more about the projects that you're working on or that you're hoping for for your community and um, what you're what you're uh, trying to draw attention to right now? So as far as you know different projects that I've had the pleasure of just ensuring that gets the attention they deserve, I think the big one or the first one that I got involved in uh, was extending our free bus service here in Richmond, Virginia. It was supposed to be up this year. Um, just through advocacy and making people aware of the benefits of free uh, public transportation and, you know, the doors that opened up for people. I gave public comment, also was um, able to to be in on those board meetings and listening and hearing out on, you know, what, what they thought, because it's a two-way street, right? It's like, we know what we want as bus drivers, but we also want to know why maybe they want to return back to, you know, paid fare or whatever the case may be. So we got that extended to June 2025, which is, again, great. I take the bus to work every day. Um, it's opened up so many doors for me. And then after that, it was parking minimums, which was a a big one. And just ensuring that, you know, developers have the, the option to um, build as much parking as they see fit, which means if they don't need as much parking, then they don't have to build it compared to a requirement that says um, they have to have it. And that affects even my small business. Um, I'm a plant shop. If they were to say, hey, you need 12 parking spaces, I wouldn't be able to open now. So um, I didn't know this then, but I was just advocating that we can use this land use for better opportunities. Um, and that's, I'm just really excited about that. Um, so those are two projects that, you know, um, I help raise visibility via, you know, public news, uh, newspaper, public comment, obviously my time on, on both of the boards. 
but then just conversations with our council people, um, sending emails and things like that. It's it's truly a bottoms up approach. I mean, you're gonna have to type a letter out, right? It's a, um, but you just have to ensure that you know that it's in good faith and you know CC their liaisons, understand they're busy, and just be human. You know, let them know that like this is the problem that I'm coming up against, and I just would love your insights on it. Yeah, and I love the um, how you keep emphasizing. Um, yeah, find the right board, find the right commission, find the right meeting. But at the end of the day, it's also about relationships, and that's Absolutely. such a big part. That's such a big part of what it means to participate in the public sphere and um, just participate in caring about your city, right? Like yes. it's you you have to do the technical work and figure out the 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 archi- the political architecture of your city but at the end of the day it could be just sending a really nice personal email you know that helps helps someone see what you're trying to say right and maybe maybe Absolutely. change their mind on something right so yes. i love that you keep emphasizing that because i feel like it's so easy to get caught up in the the political or the oh i just really need to have my talking points down yeah or, or even to see them as the enemy when in reality it's like hey it's just con- let's get coffee let's talk it out let's have a yes. conversation um, and 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 thinking of it as relationship building too. Yes. What are you working on at the moment now? Uh, what what's coming down the pipe for you? Or what are you hoping for? The big thing on the you know page right now is uh, we're extending our bus service uh, north and south um, to bus rapid transit, uh, which should mean faster frequencies on a dedicated path. So we're looking at a bus every ten to fifteen minutes, hopefully which right now some of those areas are getting about 60 minutes. So uh, every hour you're getting a bus. My goal is to ensure that Southside stays in the phase and like active and doesn't get left out of the picture. Um, So I've been attending the meetings and having the conversation with, you know, the contractors and the transit agency and just making sure that they know that this is, is vital and that we don't get left out of the picture. Um, Sometimes in these studies, you know, they get so overwhelmed with options that they phase it out, right? They do one phase at a time. Um, and that can always be scary because you just never know um, if they'll finish the phase that will affect you, right? Um, it's very popular. And so that's, I think that's a big one on the table right now is just making sure that they understand the need in the South side, Um despite the numbers of turnouts, right? If it's four people in there, they still are very vocal, right? Um, and making sure the studies are being done where they need to be done. So going out to the bus stops and talking to the people. Which you would be surprised how that rarely happens. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> You're yes. like, maybe it would be a good idea to talk to the people who use the bus. Yes. <laughs> Without a QR code, just ask yes. them questions on a piece questions. of paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no QR codes, please. Well, I, I kind of want to ask you about that because I feel like this is the other side to your work, which is uh, trying to help people who live in the community to also realize they have a voice. Um, yes. Because you're, you're, you're one man, right? You've got a family, you've got a business. There's only so much you can do. So, um, how do you approach the challenge of, okay, here's what I can do, but I also would love to activate my community to see that they they have a voice, they can have a vision for their neighborhood and they can they can show up to meetings and they can advocate for the neighborhood as well. How do you how do you tackle that challenge? Sure. I think um that's part of what 
density that kind of started was having very um, surface level conversations about like what we can do to have these conversations, whether it's um, reaching out to your city councilor or just showing up at the public meetings. Um, but in person, it's like, you know, when you're a sponge in this work and you're taking the bus and you're at the bus stop and you're having those conversations, like, man, it's hot out here. I really wish I had some shade, you know, or, Hey, I wish there was a stop here. It used to be a, a, a um, stop here, but you know, they moved it up the street that is the perfect time to have the conversation with fellow bus drivers, I mean, bus riders and inform them like of what, what's going on. Like, yep. Even if it's just, Oh, just facts that are coming on. Yep. They're supposed to be putting some shelter here. If, you know, you have any questions, give them a call. Um, or they're supposed to put bus, you know, benches here, you know, give them a call or, you know, um, there, there's a meeting on this date. Uh, just sharing that knowledge is a big part of it. I think sometimes we get so caught up in just learning the knowledge for ourselves that we forget that like we have the opportunities to spread it. That may look like not wearing headphones on the bus, just making yourself open to the conversation um, or at the bus stop, just being present, you know, where someone doesn't feel like they're interrupting you um, if they have a question or if they just want to talk, you know, they just want to vent about the day then just making yourself open. And also it sounds like there's an opportunity to to come up with creative ways to to help them see how they can be engaged, right? Like if it's like, yes. hey, here's a little card, here's the next meeting about this, y'all should come, you know, or here's a here's a website or here's a number you can call if you ever think of ways that the bus system can be better, right? Just yes. giving giving those little cards out to people. And I think I think what you're saying is that, you know, a big part of it is helping ordinary people realize like your input matters. You don't have to be an expert. <laughs> you yes. don't have to be an engineer. You don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be a pro in order to participate and, and, and having, have, I think that what you're doing is just so important because it's really showing like the power of modeling, right. When you yes. have someone from your neighborhood who understands your experience and who can, bridge uh the gap between the political realm where these decisions are being made and their ordinary life and kind of model that um i think that's a really important and underrated side to being an advocate is is bringing people along and showing them this you know showing them how it's done do you ever think that being a private vehicle kind of like all the time makes us forget that as a community this might be the only time this person has a chance to vent to someone or like ask a question that, you know, that they might be intimidated to call that number because we're so used to like getting in our cars, turning the music up and like just going straight to work. Right. So like, I guess, yeah, I, I just wonder your thoughts on, you know, like how we take the public transit, but we treat it like a bus, like we, I mean, not a bus, but like a car, we treat it like, just getting on the bus, having our headphones in and like just going and doing the thing instead of like understanding like all the benefits of public transportation and the community we could be like put together. I love what you said about taking headphones off. I feel like I used to do that actually in New York, intentionally not wear them because I, and, and I for sure would intentionally try not to be looking at a screen um, when I would ride public transit. 
I know not looking at a screen was for sure one of my goals. The headphones, I can't 100% remember, but I feel like I was definitely conscious of it, like conscious of the fact that if someone needed help or someone needed to, New York is a little bit harder. People don't really want to chit chat (laughs) on public transit, (laughs) but there is a difference if you don't have your headphones in and someone needs help or you're not looking at your computer or you're kind of making eye contact and smiling when you can, right? It really just humanizes it humanizes the whole experience. I actually would start to have panic attacks almost the last few months I was living in New York because I would get on the subway and literally everyone would be staring at a screen and just just that whole experience. Like I'm like looking back sometimes I'm like, I feel like that would have made me leave because I just couldn't or at least switch to biking only because I just couldn't take the feeling of I'm in this space with all these people yet it feels so anonymous. Like it feels like no nobody is aware of each other. Um, so you're you're definitely onto something, and and I think you're totally right about the way that cars sort of privatize everything, right? Like they separate us from each other. I always remind people, you don't see drivers, you see cars, right? Like there's just something so, I don't know the word, but it sort of like absolves, it sort of dissolves people, right? When we all get in our cars, and then I hear myself when I get frustrated, and how mean I can be sometimes when drivers are being dumb. <laughs> And I'm like, man, if I was on a bike, I would not say that. Like if I was in a, if I was on a bus, I would not say like just the etiquette and the everything about it is so different because, you know, I'm boxing this little machine and I'm so frustrated and I can't make eye contact with another human. Right. We can't. And even the little things, like I notice uh, the way people treat each other when they're walking, like we say we're way faster to say hi, we're way faster, even in the grocery store, way faster to say, excuse me. So there is a hundred percent a connection between the way we get around and our feeling of what we owe each other. Right. Or like how we entreat or treat each other or our openness to the other person, even if they're strangers. So um, yeah, I think you're definitely onto something there. And I love those practical tips you gave of, of like, put the phone down, <laughs> maybe take the, yes. maybe take the yes, earphones. I can remember where, you know, you didn't have service in the train in New York. And so you had to like read a book or like listen to your iPod or have a conversation. And mm-hmm. then everyone will pull their phones out when you're crossing over the bridge, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That was that <laughs> like everyone try to make that call or send that email off. Exactly. Oh, man. I, and one of my favorite stories actually from New York, I know, I know we're going kind of long, but I'll never forget this one time that I um, was picking up a gig. I mean, I lived my best gig life. Who doesn't? And when, at some point, right? Like that random, that random sale you're going to go help at for 120 bucks. Like, we need those. Let's just be real. So I was like late for my gig and I, for the life of me, could not, could not find my phone. Um, but I had to go, it was raining. So I like run out the house. I don't have my phone. Um, but I do know the name of the shop where I'm, I'm like, I'm going to be working. So I just like bolt for the train. I get on, I'm in my umbrellas dripping everything. And I'm just like, I'm really frustrated with myself. Then a seat opens up and this young lady is sitting there and she's reading a book by one of my favorite authors. So I slip in the seat next to her and I just don't even think about, I just, I'm like, I'm so sorry to bug you, but could I please borrow your phone? I need to call this friend of mine that I'm helping out and I'm running late. And she's like, for sure. So I call the shop, get in touch with the person, tell them what's going on. They're totally fine. Give her her phone back. And then we end up talking about the book she's reading because it's, you know, by an author that I really really like and we actually became friends That's awesome. yeah, <laughs> and you know and once in a while we'll talk about that like it's so crazy that just like this random morning you know and uh yeah we ended up having lots of good conversations and 
uh, just building a friendship out of that. And it turned out she didn't live, she didn't even live that far from me. So I also sort of were able to become neighbors in a way too. Um, but yeah, just moments like that, you know, that, that is kind of the magic of, of public transit, I think sometimes. That's great. So in addition to advocating for the city, um, you're also uh, about to open a new business in the area. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so um, like I mentioned earlier, I, I had a plant shop in uh, in Charlotte for two years. Um, 2020 and 2021, we won Best Plant Shop. Um, I was pretty excited about that. Um, and we focused on, you know, house plants, obviously, but planters, soil um, during the pandemic was, you know, where everyone was just kind of locked in and just trying to figure out things. Um, plants were a way that a lot of people look to escape. Um, I look to nurture something. And so me being well-versed in plants, um, it seemed very natural. Um, and now I get to open it in my hometown um, in a walkable neighborhood, accessible neighborhood. Um, we're on the first floor. Um, there's a park above us. So it's all the things that I enjoy. We're on the bus line. So uh, Shades of Moss Plant and Design uh, will be open by the end of the month. Uh, but what I'm really hoping to get out of this is to show people like we don't have off street parking. I want to have I want to be that business owner to show people like you could you can be successful that, you know, they don't have to park right in front of the business. But I'm also being mindful of what I'm ordering. So I'm not ordering like big bags of soil, something you can throw on your bike, you know, so it's a two two way thing It's make it convenient for your customers. But you know, also being conscious of your neighborhood. So I'm hoping to to lead even in as a business owner in ways that most business owners are like, hey, you know, I just want to, you know, stay open. <laughs> but I really want to be an, an asset to the neighborhood. And so I'm being conscious of the things they may need and making sure it's packaged in a way they can use it. So uh, urban policy and just urbanism, I guess, <laughs> follows me everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Once you go, once you go down this path, you can't, there's no turning back. It, it yes. shapes, it, sh it shapes and colors everything, but I think that's going to be so neat. Just the perspective you're going to get on your city as a business owner and, and really, um, you know, just that experience, I'm sure is going to give you so many new insights and perspectives on, on what it takes for cities to thrive. Uh, Barry, it's been really great hearing your story. Um, to wrap things up, I'd love to know if someone was was coming through your neighborhood on a road trip and had a couple hours to stop, uh, where would you recommend they go for you know a good cup of coffee, a, a slice of local life? What local businesses would you recommend they 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 support? Yes. Yeah, so if you're in Richmond passing through, um, I would stop in Jackson Ward at Urban Hang Suite grab some coffee and just hang out. Then if you're looking for just, you know, something to do, I would say visit the VMFA. I would definitely stop by our Virginia Museum of Fine Arts. Even if you're just sitting outside and people watching, we have a, like, it's a great lawn there. Um, there's fountains, there's, you know, greenery everywhere. I think that will be a, a great stop. Um, and you can, take a bus there. So um, you can take the bus and just walk down uh, Arthur Ashe Boulevard, which is great. Um, and then I would actually finish the day up like going down to the T. Tyler Potterfield Bridge on the James River. It's a bridge that essentially goes over the James River, but in a pretty human scale where you're not so far up you're like pretty close down on the water it's a beautiful view of the city 
Um, it's spike accessible. It's, you know, um, handicap accessible. Um, and you can walk there. So um, it's it's just a great place to be. I would say those those would be the three things I'd do. All right. And then, of course, you'd have to swing by Shades of... Shades, Shades of, of Moss. Absolutely. Shades of Moss. <laughs> um, uh, grab a plant or just... Grab a little plant, plant, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Have some company for the rest of your road trip. Hey, I've road tripped with a, an adopted kitten. You can definitely road trip with an adopted plant. So absolutely, and it'll I, it'll be you know one of the most quiet uh, road trip <laughs> rides that you can expect. Well, everybody, thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Bottom Up Revolution. We'll be back in two weeks with another conversation. If there's someone in your community or a network who you think would make a great guest for the show, please nominate them in the suggested guest form linked in the show notes. If you'd like to check out any of the businesses that Barry recommended in this episode, you can also find those in the show notes as well, as well as a link to his uh, sub stack. Uh, thanks so much. And we'll be back soon.